we ended up at a party, I remember, and I remember seeing it differently. I remember looking at the people, you know, collapsed on the floor, eyes glazed over, you know, these, you know, people that didn't look like that a year before. Mm. People that had lost weight, who had aged, who had, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I saw it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I don't think this is what I want. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. Today, I'm pleased to introduce an incredible woman who was raised in a conservative, religious, rural town. And about 30 years ago, she found herself deep in addiction. Through several miracles, which she'll share with us today, she turned her life around and is now a clinical mental health counselor. She's also worked in the field of substance abuse and has been a school psychologist. She has a thriving practice in integrative mental health, which brings both Eastern and Western medicine together. She's currently a doctoral student in natural medicine, studying the well-being of practitioners. She is the author of various self-help books and tools, and she's working to promote conscious therapies. She is a wife, mother, and she recently found out she enjoys writing humor. I am pleased to introduce Christine Price. Christine, are you ready to share your story of hope? I am. Awesome. So you have such an amazing journey that you've been on in your life. And I'm so thrilled to have you share it with us today. So why don't you take us on this journey and and start off by your deepest and darkest times and how you were able to pull out of those? Exactly. So I didn't know I was headed towards my deepest, darkest times. And I think that's that's the thing, is that I use the analogy of a little boat on a little river, mm-hmm. and there's a natural you know, downhill slope. And if you're not rowing upward, you naturally gravitate downward. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And that was most of my adolescence, my childhood and adolescence. I think I figured out that I really wasn't a great rower. <laughs> and and I and it's because I was I only had one oar. Oh. And as I look back at, you know, as I use this metaphor, I had the works oar and I still work a lot. I still mm-hmm. do a lot. But as I talk about integrative, that's that's what has brought me together is being able to use the works oar and the being the the faith oar mm. together. Right. And so it took it took a major fall to mm-hmm. find my faith. There you go. Wow. So why don't you take us to that point of your fall and maybe what was going on in your mind at that time? I mean, no, I know that everyone probably knows at least one addict in their life. So why don't mm-hmm. you walk us through what that was like? And then what happened to cause the shift? 
Yeah. Okay. So the crazy thing was is that there was no substance abuse in my family system. Mm. Um, I was raised by a fairly religious family and, you know, there was not a lot of connection, Mm -hmm. but I think it was a major uh, surprise for them when Mm -hmm. I started declining in a way that they didn't understand. Right. So really, I think what led up to my decline was trauma. And so that was another thing is my parents didn't recognize that I had been traumatized. Um, I was traumatized as a child, and it was early enough that they assumed it was just part of my personality. Gotcha. And then later, I was re-traumatized. So I was traumatized at about four and traumatized again at about 14. Mm -hmm. And it was at 14 that I threw out that other or. Mm, You said, forget this. (laughs) I said, that's enough of that. And for me, it was kind of a, a very quiet you know, secretive experience because I knew I would get in trouble for the little things. Uh, and and so I didn't open up about what was going on with me. And so I'd, um, I drank, I'd experimented around with some things that I knew were against the rules. Mm-hmm. So rather than t- be open about that and, and get the help I needed, mm-hmm. um, I actually was in a mindset, and this happens in religious systems sometimes Mm -hmm. i was in a mindset of i should be punished oh right and so i and i it was years later i opened up my journal Mm -hmm. and i had even written it in my journal that i had made that conscious decision to punish myself i had no idea that I mean, that was probably just one of those things I wrote one night and and never remembered until... But it, was, it rang true in your mind. Yeah, decades later. Yeah. So so I think that's a major challenge when when there's this, you know, rock in a hard place that, you know, you're danged if you do and you're danged if you don't kind of thing, right? <laughs> if you... Yes. If you you know, confess you're in trouble. So we'll just do the punishment ourselves. So (laughs) then we're in control of that. And I think there was a lot of fear also in my life that, that I worked against. So I was able to, I guess, keep it hidden for Mm -hmm. several years. Mm -hmm. And, and during that time, my parents were just so baffled. They couldn't understand the major changes in my personality. Right. And the anger, and that's an interesting thing, is that sometimes the way out of fear is anger. Interesting. And I think I had stifled fear for most of my life because I had been traumatized at four, thought everything was okay. And then when I was re-traumatized, instead of working through that trauma, I just got ticked off. Right. I just, and I, and I wanted to, you know, I was punishing myself, but I was punishing every, everybody else too. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. And and we all know teenagers who act that way. Who acts that way. Yeah. yeah. So it, it explains a lot of that. Yeah. Wow. So it wasn't until one day my mom read my journal. And so that's an interesting thing. Oh. I am a writer. Yeah, that would do it. <laughs> yeah, that would do it. And I think, you know, on her behalf, I that was probably wise. Mm-hmm. She needed some answers. And right. um. And so that's where she went for them. And so she found out a whole lot more. I, I can't imagine that night for her mm. when her world must have been shattered. Right. To find out the reality of what was going on. And the depth that I had gotten to at that point, I was fairly heavily into drugs. Um, it was a wonder I wasn't pregnant. There were, you know, there were things in my life that were falling apart and you know, and they had these hopes and dreams for me. I was an oldest child. And so I was also an example to siblings and to, 
you know, and, and I was, you know, I was actively involved in church. And so there was this duplicity that I was living within. Mm -hmm. So they took me to counseling. And, and what was interesting is that that was actually what inspired my later career. Mm. And so I'm really grateful that they at least made that choice to get me help because I would not have asked for it. No, no, no. And I, and I think that's, that's probably one of the best things you can at least start with, right? Yeah, that is the start. So as they, you know, so as I got that help, um, well, I worked with a woman who, who was just, she was wonderful. It's just her nature was accepting. And I felt like I could tell her things. And she didn't really involve my parents, which was probably wise. Mm -hmm. And so she and I built a relationship. Mm -hmm. And she became the person that I role modeled after. So so it was interesting because she planted seeds. Mm -hmm. And she knew that something was going on. I still couldn't even tell her what was wrong. I wouldn't go there. The trauma was too deep. Mm-hmm. So she actually suggested I do hypnotherapy mm. and, and that freaked me out. So I was, I refused, but <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I don't, I don't want to really know. Mm-hmm. Even though I knew I knew, mm-hmm. I didn't want to know I know, uh-huh. <laughs> but I know. It was, and, it was repressed and you didn't want to bring it yeah, up let's again, let's keep right? it down there. So, so then when, you know, later in life, I actually found that, wow, the subconscious is exactly where I get to go, you know, mm. and learn so much about myself. But at that point in time, that was not what I wanted to do. But I did know something. And what I knew, and it was just something, and it was a question she asked me when she said, well, what's going to change this? Or what, you know, you know, she just probably felt helpless after a year of working with me right. and I hadn't really changed. So, so she asked me a question one day and I said, I need to explore this, this, I need to know something here and, and I will come back. I will, you know, I will find my way. Mm. And then I think she just left it at that. And I think my mom on some level knew that too. Mm-hmm. And so, so anyway, so the, my, my course of addiction lasted about six years. So it was about from age 14 to 20. Gotcha. So back on the analogy of the boat, yes, there was one one interesting thing I show people is that there's kind of a dividing line, and if you go above that dividing line, you're in recovery, so to speak, or you're on a progression towards something. You don't always know what it is; it's somewhat the unknown. Okay, but you know you're going somewhere, right? And you're working at it. Yes. So it takes faith. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. On the downside, um, it's a ride. You know, and and there's no effort involved. So, so the analogy I I share is that it was like I was trying to go for my ride while they were latching on with everything they had and available to them to pull me back right over that line. Yeah, they didn't want you to go on. They that didn't ride. want me on that ride. Yeah. yeah, right. I knew I needed to go on the ride. Mm. And that was what was interesting. So that tension, if you can imagine it, them, you know, and, and it's interesting because those who are rowing someone who's trying to go the other direction, it creates so much tension, family tension, conflict. And, and the heartbreaking thing is how much conflict it created in their marriage. Oh. Now, so, there's, a, there's a little bit of a chicken and an egg thing going on here, though. Sure. Because there is a lot of research that does find a correlation. The question is, was the problems in their marriage there before I began my downward spiral? Right. Or were yeah, they were at least exacerbated? Sure. Absolutely. I can see that. Yeah. But 
so essentially, and during my whole high school time period, there was there was tension at home. There were problems in my parents' marriage that weren't being fully dealt with, and um, and I was just kind of trying to get the direction I wanted to go, and it was just a lot of chaos. Right. A lot of chaos. Gotcha. So. I turned 18 and the first thing I did, well, I turned 18 and I graduated from high school. And the first thing I did was try to figure out a way out of the house. Right. So I had a a little short-lived experience and then figured out I couldn't really afford to do that. (laughs) And so. (laughs) It's expensive to move out. Yeah. Um, I was also, I had progressed in my addiction enough that I was looking for the real things. I mean, the big Mm. ones, the big drugs. And so I actually found a drug dealer to move in with. Oh, boy. Yeah. And so it was very secretive. Um, I was, I was in my freshman year of college mm-hmm. and, and I discovered, you know, this out and within just two week period, I met the guy, made the arrangements, packed my stuff and moved. Mm-hmm. And, but it was interesting because right before I moved and this was the impetus and it was an interesting thing. Cause I think as parents, they would have been so confused on why this didn't work, but just an interesting orchestration of things. They had actually come together in a better way than they had before. They'd worked with, they'd, my parents had started in marriage counseling. They'd finally addressed the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, we have this, you know, young adult at home that's creating the tension. Mm -hmm. Um, They actually shipped me off to the counselor for a minute and I, you know, and the counselor probably verified, yeah, that's a problem. (laughs) And, (laughs) and so the counselor created this actual, almost foolproof plan. And so my parents together sat together and presented it to me. If for you to stay here, mm-hmm. this is what would be required. It included curfews. It inclu- included drug testing. It included, there were no holes. Mm. And it was kind of the perfect storm because it was like, all right, I'd met this guy. They'd presented this impossible way for me to stay home. And so on this very heartbreaking day, I I packed my bags and I left. They had no idea where I was going. They had no idea. Mm. That was before the day of cell phones. Yeah. And basically, they had no idea where I was for six months, oh, except wow. they knew where I was alive. They knew I was alive because they could at least come to see me at work. Okay. Mm. Gotcha. So, so they knew I was and, – and really interesting thing I remember, and I, I actually wrote – my story up in a, um, you know, in a book that might be released one day, but, but I remember describing the scene of me working in a deli that was the only place you could smoke on campus. Mm -hmm. And they sold, it was before Starbucks too. And they (laughs) sold every variety of coffee. And so it was basically just the hangout for the party group. Okay. Uh For the, you know, and, and so my dad, in all his goodness, walked through that smoke-filled room mm-hmm. to buy a sandwich, overpriced sandwich, mm-hmm. <laughs> bypassed the coffee, and just got like two minutes with me. Mm. And I started, and I felt something from that. I think even in the midst of everything I was in, mm-hmm. I knew he cared enough to do that, right? to see me and to say hi and to let me know that he cared. Right. My mom also came. She chose to come in the springtime, and we sat outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. But it was, you know, it was one of those things that I know I remember 
those significant moments during that time. Because to you, it showed you that your parents still loved and cared about you. Yeah, and that they were willing to come to my world. Mm, that is cool. Yeah. Yeah. So doing little things like that makes a difference. They were, yeah, and they kept their boundaries right. enough, but they were they were willing to come to my world. And then that spring day, my mom invited me home for um, just a little a half birthday party. So this is one of those fun little things from my childhood is I was an only child for a little while. Mm-hmm. And, and so they got away with this for a minute, but um, I had this fabulous third birthday party and at three and a half, I'm like, when's my next birthday? And... And so they created, you know, a half birthday oh, and it stuck and it was mm-hmm. kind of fun. So, so they re-celebrated that at when I was 19 mm-hmm. and, and that was meaningful, mm-hmm. you know, to go out of their way to celebrate me, yeah. even though I was a mess, right. <laughs> even though I had, you know, done everything wrong. Right. Unconditional love. Unconditional love. Yeah. That's, that's a powerful thing. Yeah. So, so my journey really only took about a year from the time I found the hard drugs till um, there was a point in time. And I remember that I was, um, I was using drugs that are highly addictive Mm -hmm. and that have the potential, you know, beyond anything that I tried before. Right. So up until this moment, I was, you know, and it was about the fall of my 19th year mm-hmm. that I was able to say yes or no. You know, I had a, I still had a choice up right. to that point. Right. So if you look at that on the little river analogy, mm-hmm. I had not gone off a waterfall right. at that point. Mm-hmm. And I remember the very night that it happened. And that's the thing that you don't see coming. They use the word insidious to describe addiction sometimes. Okay. If you're familiar with the word insidious. You know, why don't you define it for I me? Should I should define have it. I heard it, okay. but I, yeah, I don't remember everything. <laughs> it's good. It's a good word. It's really the way I define it is it's how you cook a frog. If you put a frog in cold water, well, if you put a frog in boiling water, it will jump right out. If you put a frog in cold water and slowly turn up the heat, you cook the frog. Right. So there are some addictions that are more insidious. Mm-hmm. And most addictions are, I would say, is just some are faster cooking. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. So, so this was a faster cooking addiction. And and I didn't realize, boom, I was boiled. Uh, and 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 I remember the very night it happened. And when that switch happened within me, I no longer could could refuse. The substances. They controlled me. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. So you reach a point where your ability to choose, you eventually- You lose it. You lose it, yeah. And it doesn't always happen that gradually. Sometimes it is. You don't always know how Mm, it's going to happen. Gotcha. Yeah. You usually can see it when you look behind, but not when looking forward. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like like most things. Most in things. Life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of things. Yeah. So so then that was the fall of my 19th year. I turned 20 at that point. And I still was not, and this is the irony of it, I still wasn't old enough to go to a bar legally. Oh. <laughs> right. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> but I was fully addicted to drugs. And it was, it was the I think it was the first year that they did the Just Say No campaign. 
Nancy Reagan. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they had all these pamphlets up at the university. And I remember walking by one and just thinking, wow. And just pulling a few off the tables, you know, Mm -hmm. and taking them home and reading them with my boyfriend who he'd passed that point a long time before that, but was just content with it. So, um, so I remember reading a few of them and he was there and he didn't really engage a lot, but wow. As I looked at those questions, I realized, yeah, I meet the criteria. I'm an addict. Wow. Was that kind of an aha thing for you? It was scary. It was scary. Because I didn't know what to do about that. Right. And, and, and at that point, I'd also discovered that the drugs I was using were doing damage physically to me. I was losing weight. I had what felt like an ulcer. Mm-hmm. Um, there were sores, different things that were just like things that were like, something's wrong. My body was toxic. Right. But the way it was playing out, and as a, you know, a beautiful 20-year-old, mm-hmm. I was aging very rapidly. Oh. I was, my body was deteriorating from what I was doing wow. in ways that, that I still to this day actually regret in some ways. There are, sure. there are some things that do cause permanent damage. Wow. Yeah. So where did you go from there? Where did I go from there? So it took another couple months and everything started to just kind of spiral out of control. Um, Things went really badly in the drug dealing business. Mm. (laughs) Things, and it's interesting because it's so enticing because there's, you know, the upfront glitter and, you know, gloss of, you know, this is an easy world. This is an easy life. Mm -hmm. And then realizing behind that is something you didn't see. Mm-hmm. Very dark, very empty, very hopeless. Right. And so I started experiencing depression. Um, we financially could not stay where we were. We were having to like play games with the landlord. Um, we were dealing with a lot of betrayal and issues mm-hmm. with friends gotcha. that were no longer friends. There was a lot of paranoia. Mm-hmm. I remember actually closing the shades and someone coming to the door knocking and us hiding in the other room mm-hmm. and, and not knowing if we could come out, right. not knowing who it was, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, and, and I was trying to get through college. So I would have, you know, term papers or finals. And there were times when I would not sleep the night before a final. Wow. And I would have to sit in this room and try to figure out how to put my brain together. Mm-hmm. And that I think was one of the bigger consequences for me was realizing that I could lose everything. And one of those was my mind and my future. Mm. So these were things that you were actually thinking about then starting to, well, I was starting to realize, yeah, there were times when, you know, my heart was beating so fast with a combination of things I was using that I thought maybe I'm going to have to go to the hospital. And if I do that, I'm in trouble. And then I have to deal with legal stuff. Mm. So yeah, there was a lot of background, like what if, what if, right. And a lot of stress under that. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. So, so anyway, so all of this had, you know, led to this point and it was early December and my mom contacted me Mm -hmm. and said, would you come home just for a little Christmas celebration? Mm -hmm. And so she, she invited me home and allowed me to bring my boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And for the first time ever, she said, let's create a a gift, you know, 
for the Christ child is what it is. And she gave a little like family kind of um, meeting. It was a family meeting and we had, you know, this kind of a religious spiritual message. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, she said, let's each of us look at giving a gift to the Christ child. And it's the first time we'd ever done that as a family. I had never thought of that before. And so I didn't write anything down that night, but I remember it was interesting that month as time went on, I, you know, I thought about it. It was in the back of my mind kind of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the year the miracle happened. Really? Why don't you tell us about that? So it's, I did write a book about that story. I wrote a book about the recovery story that I experienced and the miracle that changed my life. Wow. Um, Tell us how that happened. Seriously. Okay. So, so it was Christmas Eve, Eve. Mm -hmm. And there was a combination of things I had done that were kind of different But what happened was that it got into kind of a surreal place. And so I, something was changing kind of in me around that time. And so it was about two days before Christmas that I just felt different. It was like, I couldn't, I couldn't reconcile something. Mm -hmm. And it was very kind of subtle, but I, I remember I couldn't eat and I couldn't sleep. Mm. so it was like I was just seeking something or searching for something I was unsettled and and so I would go places I would do things you know that I would normally do and it just wasn't it was like that's not it that's not it that's not it and so um we ended up at a party I remember and I remember seeing it differently I remember looking at the people you know collapsed on the floor eyes glazed over you know, these, you know, people that didn't look like that a year before mm. people that had lost weight, who had aged, who had, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and I saw it mm-hmm. and I thought, I don't think this is what I want. Mm-hmm. So I remember wanting to leave. And in the book I write about it, I use a lot of the lyrics out of the song Hotel California. <laughs> you can check out check in anytime you like, but you can never leave. And mm. it felt like that. It felt like this trap I'd found myself in. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was Christmas Eve. I prayed and I and I had it. It was like I know my gift. And and it was in that moment that I I prayed and because I hadn't slept for a couple nights mm-hmm. and I prayed that I would, I would change my life. I would give it up. Wow. And then I discovered there really is a savior and a voice spoke to my heart. It wasn't in my mind. It was in my heart. And I remember it was, I could see the voice, mm-hmm. not just hear the voice. I could see the voice and the voice was like a golden embossing. And the words, thank you, were written on my heart. That's really sweet. And it was something that I will never forget. And that has stayed with me throughout 30 years of recovery. Wow. That's beautiful. So what was your gift? The gift 
was giving it up, was giving up the, the drugs, the lifestyle. So then I was held to my gift. Right. And, and what that meant was giving up these, this life, the boyfriend, the, you know, the things that I had lived within. Right. And, you know, I was able to call my parents on Christmas day. Oh, you did. Yeah. And what did, what, what was that conversation like? <laughs> so I, I, we visited with them Christmas morning, but I was just in such a state. Um, and, you know, so confused and so out of sorts. And, and we went and we'd actually gotten evicted. Oh. So we had to actually move out on Christmas day. Really? Yeah. Wow. I can't believe somebody would do that to someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So I remember we moved into my boyfriend's parents' house and I wasn't settled there. I hadn't been settled anywhere. So it was like I was unable to sleep or eat until I resolved this, whatever this was. Right. So so I remember it was almost like a hand that wasn't my own worked through me mm-hmm. to pick up the phone mm-hmm. and call home and just say I'm ready to come home. So you called home. And so was, was that kind of your code word for I'm done? Yeah. Do you think, do was you're... everything had changed yeah. by then? That yeah. is awesome. What, what do you, I know you mentioned that your parents had been praying for you. Do you think yes. that was part of that? Well, later. Yeah. I, you know, once I'd gotten home and asked, you know, we talked about that year uh-huh. So a couple things had changed. So one is with me out of the house, the chaos was gone. Right. That can be the best thing in a situation like right. we were in. Right. Is to just get the problem out, mm-hmm. regardless of where that takes the problem, right. you know. And so, so I was out of the home. So there was a different spirit in the home, a different level of order gotcha. there. Mm-hmm. And so that was one part. And then and then I think my parents were able to connect more around the solution. And right. there were more prayers, more solutions from, you know, religious maybe avenues, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But that but one thing I learned and that we, you know, that hasn't been the only time that this has happened in our, you know, extended family system, but there's been, you know, kind of a mass group prayer for a family member and they prayed for you yes and that was yes that was something i learned that had happened yeah wow yes yeah that's actually some really good advice for parents or for the loved ones of someone if Mm -hmm. you if you have an addict yeah keep praying keep praying absolutely that's powerful We are going to take a quick break, but when you get back, will you please tell us a little bit about your recovery and the direction it has pointed your life into at this point? How many of you out there feel like your life is chaotic, crazy, and completely awful compared to the norm? What if I were to tell you that you are normal for you? I am so excited to announce that my book, Normal For Me by Tamara K. Anderson is now available for purchase on Amazon. 
This book took me 10 years to write, and I share 20 years worth of lessons learned in my life detours, including being in a car accident and having two of my children diagnosed on the autism spectrum. In this book, I share the secrets of how I made it from despair to peace with God's help. I also include a bonus diagnosis survival guide at the very end of my Normal For Me book. The diagnosis survival guide includes 12 tips to survive and thrive in tough times. Wouldn't you like to know what those are? So what are you waiting for? Grab your copy of Normal For Me today on Amazon. And we're back. I'm interviewing Christine Price about her life and how she was able to come out of addiction. So she's just had a miracle in her story, and she realizes that she doesn't want this addictive life anymore. And we're on Christmas Day. Christine, where did you go from here? You yeah, moved home. so I moved home. So, so there's there's more aspects of the story, but essentially, I was able to pursue. I was already in the in the psychology field, mm-hmm. and I added social work to it. Um, I did figure out that. I, there were things that I needed to work through in my personal life. Right. So I eventually found recovery. I found more therapy. I found, I started to resolve trauma, you know, in my twenties, which was, that was really what it all went back to is I had to resolve trauma. It it was still there waiting for me. (laughs) Yeah. Doing the drugs didn't take it away. It did not take it away. It just delayed the process a bit. Absolutely. Made it quite messy, actually. Oh, yes. So there were some choices that that path put me on or some directions that put path put me on that affected my life. You know, it affected who I married. It affected um, just years and years and years of my life. So... It is definitely not something I recommend. Right. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but there was purpose. There was a purpose in what I was doing, in that, and that sometimes you just have to stand back and recognize that we are each responsible for our own journey. Sure. And to know where we stand in that, and I guess be willing to do what's required. And the sooner you're willing to do it, really, the better. Sure. And so I still had the issue of, you know, of talking about things that I'd kept secret. Right. And you were able to finally talk about those things. and Yeah. That's fantastic. And that's when the healing takes place. Yeah. Is when you're talking sure. about them, probably with someone in a safe environment. Right? Did you talk about it with a yeah, counselor? Yeah. I found, well, I found that it helped for me to talk to people who had experience. Ah. So I began, I valued that from early on, I think, people who had their own journey that mm-hmm. they'd overcome. Gotcha. And so that's who I became, that person with the journey that had been overcome and right. so many different layers. Right. This is just one. <laughs> so. so this, all of this is what propelled you on that path. Yes. To becoming who that you was are the today. first. That was the first part of it. Yeah, right. that was the first turnaround, the first layer of the journey right forward into the unknown yes and absolutely. you know and learning to row with two oars so that's what happened while i was you know i'd fallen down my waterfall hit bottom mm-hmm. saw no way up and it was it was a higher power 
Mm-hmm. I use the analogy of actually a helicopter coming over at that point. Mm-hmm. And it's got the letters HP on it. And I actually worked in a, in a jail and worked with inmates teaching substance abuse for a while. And I'd write my helicopter on there with the letters HP and ask them, what does that mean? Highway patrol. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. No, it was higher power. And so, and sometimes it is the highway patrol. It is the legal ramifications that put someone in a place where they can get help. And so it's so important not to enable. That's another really big lesson from all this. Because the more someone's enabled, the the further they actually go down the scale without consequence. Oh. Yeah. I'd never thought about it that way before. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Sooner you just quit that enabling. So cutting the ties. I was the one that cut the ties in my case. Right. That were holding my raft up. But if my parents had, you know, where they had basically set that extreme, you know, ultimatum or whatever right. was also another way of doing that and saying, we're not going to enable, we this won't anymore. enable this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So that was important. Very, very good. So higher power. So higher God power took you took from me. falling off the waterfall, setting you back. Actually put me right back in the boat, but I had two oars. Mm-hmm. Yes. I had my faith at that point, which I'd not had before. And I don't know if my parents, you know, hopefully they had some experience building that faith through mm-hmm. what I went through. Right. But that was really the opportunity for them as well. Mm-hmm. So. So how did you develop that faith? I mean, you went from being an addict to all of a sudden, here you are, you're making a decision to give Jesus a gift. It was just a seed, I guess. And so I chose it. Definitely a choice. And life had put me in a position where it was an easier choice Mm. or it was an obvious choice, maybe, Mm. that what I was experiencing was not really what I wanted anymore. Gotcha. But you had to come to that realization yourself. Myself. No one could have told me. No. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. You have a poem that you wanted to share with us. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about it and share that poem with us? In my experience as a substance abuse and mental health counselor, I found people sometimes are in a real bottom. And so I wrote this poem in an effort to reach them in that space. Many souls have come to me to say, I'm living in hell. I can't take another day. In my response, I tell them, life doesn't have to be pain. It could be glory. You've simply come here to write your own story. We've all shown up on a very grand stage. Some scenes are tough, but just turn the page. Stay true to your character and trust in the script. In the final reel, much will be clipped. Is your story written to make the cut? Have you risen and prevailed or stayed in a rut? Have you literally forged a book of your own? Do you star as a villain or a king on a throne? The end of this epic is not like the rest. With a loser and winner, like some tales suggest, it's not about getting the highest point score. It's all about connection and ending the war. 
You see, within each of us is both light and dark. We've all the ingredients for a good character arc. As we resolve our own battles, we see what is true. There's a magnificent director with a pivotal view. When we acknowledge the plan and claim our own role, we can relax in the knowing and then watch it unfold. That is awesome. I love this because it shows that you can choose your destiny. Yeah, you can write your story. You can write your story. So along this journey, did you come upon a favorite Bible story or favorite Bible verse that meant anything to you? I'm assuming that you began to read or remember some stories perhaps. Yes. So I love stories of transformation because that's really what I experienced. Yes, you did. Yes. And so the and, and also what's interesting is those sometimes who have had the darkest past and the need for most repentance do the most work. And so the Apostle Paul yes. is a good example of that. And all he was so prolific. He wrote, I mean, what, more than half of the New Testament. Yes, he did. And and he was originally Saul, who was actually a you know, a an antagonist for the Christians and those who were followers of Christ and worked against that. Right. And then one day was changed. Yes. Changed his name to Paul and became an absolute devotee to Christ. Uh-huh. So that absolutely describes my that describes your story. That's my story. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. A fantastic. And I can see how you would relate. And you have become zealous now. Yes, about seeing transformation in others. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Are there any references you would give to parents or tips or things like that that you would share that might help them know how to help someone who's struggling? Obviously, we've talked about keep praying, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But what, what other tips or resources would you point them towards? So I am definitely a fan of doing your work. And for me, that was 12-step work. Ah. So, so there are 12-step programs for any, anything, really. <clears throat> There's Emotions Anonymous. I don't know. A lot of people don't know about Emotions I Anonymous. I've never heard of Emotions yeah. Anonymous. Tell me about it. So EmotionsAnonymous.org has 12-step resources for just dealing with emotional issues. Interesting. And so that can go back to the trauma that could go to the parents who are in a state of, you know, anxiety over what's going on with their child, or it could go to, you know, to the addict even, but I wouldn't say necessarily a drug addict, but you know, if you're starting on that path, realizing this probably isn't going to work, you know, it definitely could be a route away from, from that because in, Basically, in treatment, that's one major aspect of treatment is to look at what are you feeling, mm-hmm. deal with your feelings. Right. And so, you know, anything that works through emotional healing. Mm-hmm. And I do have a book on emotional healing, actually. Available. Tell us the name of it. And we'll yeah. link it as well. It's a, it's a book on emotional transformation. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it explains the emotional well. Okay. And so the emotional well is – it can be – all the negative junk that, you know, people just kind of carry around with them. Right. And it's not until you delve into that well and go deep through all the layers of emotions mm-hmm. that you figure out what's what's going on, right. you know, and not just react to what's on the surface. 
So you got to so solve the deep you gotta stuff. Got, yeah, you got to go into those those deeper feelings. And and so there's and it's it's a great little workbook because it gives you the tools to be able to work through those emotions, learn what to do with those emotions. That was something I did not learn growing up. Gotcha. So I experienced trauma and had nothing to support the emotional recourse of that. Interesting. Essentially, you know. But you, so you had to learn that. Now you've written the book you wish you had. Yeah. And I've got a whole section in there actually for children, working with children that parents could use Mm -hmm. to pull, you know, maybe to work with a child who's has a lot of emotional stuff Mm -hmm. because the sooner you do it, the better. Gotcha. Yeah. Because then you're not carrying around all that garbage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You are amazing. Oh my gosh. You've, You've written the solutions that you wish you would have had. I wish I would have had. Yeah. That's really cool. So Emotions Anonymous, right? Yes. Dot org. And, and this book on amazing- emotional transformation and the, and, you know, and anything 12-step oriented. Al-Anon is really good. Very good. For families. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard very good things about them. Yeah. That's fantastic. So did you go through a 12-step program? I did. I actually went through Al-Anon. Oh, you did? Yes. And it was, and it ended up being, that was really the problem. It was actually the boyfriend that kept me from completely getting well. Mm. I didn't actually completely get away from the boyfriend. Mm. So, um, so that was, that's a whole nother story. (laughs) (laughs) And there's, you know, there's tools that go along with that, but codependent relationships are essentially trying to hook somebody's boat onto yours and do the rowing for them. And it's just impossible. It doesn't, yeah, it's exhausting. It's, it creates a lot of tension, literally, you know, it's, and it keeps you from getting where you're supposed to go. Right. Really. Yeah. So I love how you describe it as a boat. That's yeah. like a perfect analogy. Yes, the boat analogy. I've used that actually on a recent podcast. And your listeners might want to know about my podcast that's kind of affiliated with yours through the Five Kingdoms Radio. Yeah, that's right. We both have podcasts on fivekingdomsradio.com. And that's spelled the number five, K-Y-N-G-D-O-M-S-R-A-D-I-O. Dot com, and you'll find shows from both Christine and I there. We're really excited. My show, Stories of Hope and Hard Times, is now on Five Kingdoms Radio, and that's been a real honor to be able to have it there. So on Five Kingdoms Radio, scroll down, you'll find Conscious Kingdoms, and you'll see the picture of me and my podcast. So my first podcast is on my first awakening, which is really this story, but in the analogy of the boat. And I present it in a way that I think really allows parents to see what's going on in that process and either step back or or approach it differently. I talk about a love-centered map and some of the questions that I propose to the listeners are when kids stop trying, when they give up, what motivation do they lack? And are they not feeling enough love to continue forward? And so that's something that I explore a little bit more in that podcast. That's really cool. So I actually did publish that story of the boyfriend. That's cool. Why don't you tell us about that? I did it under a pen name. 
Christy V. And that has an H in it. So it's C-H-R-I-S-T-Y. And then I just did V as a letter V, kind of like the anonymity approach. And so you can find that it is called Whereas I Was Blind, Now I See. And it does tell the story of how I navigated my journey after hooking to someone else's boat and dealing with codependency and and looking at how to move forward, how to progress in my own life, even though I had that resistance against me. That's cool. That's really, really neat. So it's really quite a powerful story, and it does incorporate the 12 steps and the gospel of Jesus Christ within that. So it's quite a real self-help with a spiritual focus. And that is called Where I Was Blind, Now I See, right? Yes. That is really cool. Thanks for sharing that. We will be sure to put that in the show notes for today's podcast. Um, And if this message has just really resonated with somebody, how can they get a hold of you? So you can go to my website, and it's christineprice.com. There's no H in Christine. Okay, (laughs) C-R-I. Even though I'm devoted to Christ, that is the one thing my parents chose to leave out is the H. So (laughs) who knows what the symbolism is there. But it it means that you'll find me by, you know, C-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, Price, and price.com. And there's resources on there. You can get a hold of the book there and find out what else I'm doing. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Are there any final tips or lessons that you'd like to share before we end? So, yeah, I think just essentially when when I would have parents come to me, because I'd have p- parents hear my story and feel hope. Yes. I want to bring their children to me. Right. <laughs> right. And so, yes, definitely engage a counselor. That's a great idea. Right. But um, but there's there's a way to do that. And, and kids need to buy in, you know, mm-hmm. the, the person who's stuck has got to make the choice to get unstuck. Yes. And so having, and that's where the faith comes in is to have enough faith. Oh, so here was the other one yeah. is to be able to visualize rather than spend time and energy thinking about the problem, mm-hmm. visualize what the solution would look like. So try to imagine to how this them. is going to work out in your mind. Yeah. See them as you know, someday Uh when they're ready and when timing comes together, Mm -hmm. you know, they'll be happy. They'll have learned so much from this. They'll have experience to offer others. Right. They'll have this character that's been carved in their soul. So you've given us some amazing tips and lessons and advice for parents I guess my other question is, is there anything that you would suggest that parents do or is there anything they can say to help their child buy into it? Yes, I would highly suggest The Anatomy of Peace. This is a book that's written by the Arbinger Institute, Mm -hmm. and it is about a a set of parents who drop their child off, their teenager off at a rehab camp. Mm -hmm. And guess what the story is about? It's not about the rehab camp. Oh. <laughs> it's about what happens when, you know, once the parents have done what they think is dropped the child off, they're brought into a room, sat down with all the other parents, mm-hmm. and that's where the solution begins. They start with the parents. They start with the parents. Interesting. And I highly recommend that 
as just that mindset. And so doing your own work is so critical. And, and that's really what the book's about and learning how to set boundaries. And and so the outcome of, of something like that is you learn how to set boundaries. You learn how to establish what's okay in your, in your sphere of influence Mm -hmm. and you do it with absolute love. Ooh, Yes. Well, that's yeah. really the key ingredient. Those were the things that penetrated into you, to you yeah. from your parents when you were stuck. Yeah. The love comes through. Yes. And that's the key. That's cool. Okay. So we'll put a link to the anatomy of peace because is that yeah, the name? Yeah, because that's a good one. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Oh my And I look forward to, yeah, following up with this because there's there is a mindset that that gets to be developed in working with anybody, mm-hmm. not just your own children, but as a mental health therapist, I found that I was just exhausted from the journey and the effort involved in you know supporting so many people. Wow. And yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's and, draining. It's yeah. draining on you, right? Right. So. And there's solutions there. Yeah. So. Wow. Well, thank you, Christine, for sharing such an amazing journey from darkness to light and so many resources. We will put all these resources on the show notes, storiesofhopepodcast.com, and we'll refer you to Christine's website for any questions. Thank you, Christine. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. I know that there are many of you out there that are going through a hard time, and I hope you found things that have been useful today as you listen to the podcast. If you would like to access the show notes from today's podcast, visit my website. It is storiesofhopepodcast.com. That is where you'll find favorite quotes from today's episode and shareable memes. And those are fun because you can share them with your friends on social media. You will also find the links mentioned throughout today's episode so you don't have to remember what those were. And also all the tips that were shared. Sometimes tips are shared so much throughout an episode you forget. What were those great things? So go to the show notes, storiesofhopepodcast.com to look up these fantastic resources. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a tip that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this episode with them. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help bear that burden. Above all else, Remember, God loves you.